Hello, everybody. Welcome to Health Chatter and today's episode on health equity. It'll be an interesting show. We have lots of great questions and a wonderful guest we'll get to in just a second. As we usually do, we'd like to introduce our, our great background staff. Matthew Campbell is our production manager. Thank goodness for all his technical capabilities. We have Maddie Levine-Wolf and Aaron Collins, who do background research for us for all of our shows and do a wonderful job helping us come up with some good key questions and also some uh, statistics if we need them, et cetera, et cetera. Also, there's my illustrious co-host, uh, Clarence Jones. Boy, we've got we've done some good stuff together over the years, and I, and I greatly appreciate him. Uh, happy Valentine's Day. Today is Valentine's Day. You'll you, Everybody in the audience will hear this show a couple days from now, but happy Valentine's Day regardless. Uh, hug all your, all your loved ones. That's the idea of Valentine's <laughs> Day, right? Okay. Um, and then also I want to thank uh, Human Partnership, who's um, our uh, partner in this, uh, in this uh, podcast. And they're a wonderful community group that uh, supports our endeavors. So thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody. By the way, uh, at the end of the show, uh, hopefully I'll have just a minute and I'll give everybody a preview of some upcoming shows that we have that will be of interest, I'm sure, to all of you. So with that, I'm going to turn the mic over to Clarence and he can introduce our great guest for the day. Well, thank you, Stan. And as you said, happy Valentine's Day. Uh, this is when we recorded this show. And if you could see me, you, or if you can hear me, you probably can see all the red that I have on to celebrate this day because I'm just in <laughs> I'm just in love with everybody, most days anyway. Uh, I have the honor of presenting Dr. Antonia Wilcoxon. And uh, what I want to say about her first, I want to talk about her as a community member. Um, as a community member, I have the opportunity to interact with a lot of people. Uh, governmental people, academic people, researchers, uh, just everybody. And in my in that particular position, uh, I have also the opportunity to observe people. And I can just say this about uh, uh, Dr. Antonia, is that I observed her for a long time before we ever had, actually had any time to interact with each other. I just saw her in meetings and how she how she handled herself. And I was always very, very impressed with her maturity, professionalism, uh, insight, and how she could uh, maneuver between opposing or different views. And I am honored that she is here today to talk to us about the, the, the area of health equity, because I think it is one of those, those topics where, depending upon how you enter it or how you want to approach it, it could be a very, very uh, controversial, a very, very conflictual kind of thing. And we have to have some type of balance with this topic. And I think that that's what, what I know that Dr. Antonia has exhibited in all the times that I've met with her. And I think it's good for our audience to get a chance to meet her. So uh, Dr. Antonia, I wanna thank you for being on our show, for accepting my invitation. And we definitely look forward to hearing from you. Back to you, Stan. Well, you know, I'll, t I'll tell you, this is, a, this is a complicated subject. You know, you know, one of the things is, 
and 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 hopefully you can respond to this. Hasn't there always been health inequities? And if that's the case, if if there is agreement on that, um, then what's different today? Why why is the discussion at is at where it is right now with regards to health equity, health inequalities? Good morning, everyone, and happy Valentine's Day. Thank you, uh, Clarence Jones, for the kind introduction. And thank you, Stan, for, for the question that I think it's always front and center in our minds because a lot of us have been in this work for many, many years, for decades. And yes, it has often existed because living in a country in which the foundation of it was really the dehumanization of certain groups of people so that we could have this great society, this great capitalist and very wealthy society. Some people were left behind. And at some points, they were not considered full uh, human beings. We need to remember that. And that in itself was a cruel inequality. Um, and what uh, resulted from that is that poor health outcomes, poor housing, poor education, all the things that all of us aspire, aspire to reach were at one point or another prohibited from some of us. We wanted to be there too. We had the same hopes and dreams. So I think that as we fast forward, especially in the last few years, we had what they call a double pandemic of racism and then the murder of Mr. George Floyd. There was this global awareness that I think has always been under the surface. For some of us, more on the surface, more in the open because we experienced it than for others. But when we noticed that during the pandemic, the so-called, um, Clarence, you have your hand up. Should I stop well, you? Well, no, no, you don't, you don't have to do that. But, but I think one of the things that I did, I failed to do, was I failed to talk about your accomplishments. I was so excited about the community aspect of you. I, I forgot to tell people who you really were. And so you are the president of Equity Strategies. You're an adjunct professor, assistant professor at St. Mary's Universities. Uh, you've been involved in community for a long time. And, and, and so I neglected to do that because I love you so much as a community member. So Stan, Stan, Stan could probably talk about the academic research stuff, but I just want people to know that you are definitely an expert in terms of this topic. So now I'm finished. I'll lower my hand. Thank you. But you mentioned community and that's where my my heart and my life has always been based upon. So you did just fine. Thank you. And to your question, Stan, why now? It's because we are confronted with data. We are confronted with facts. And I think we have always had this information, but I think what this past few years helped us see more clearly is how they were unveiled. 
that when we had the uh, freezer trucks in front of hospitals and in front of emergency rooms, we knew that black and brown bodies were in the majority inside those trucks. That when we witnessed how Mr. George Floyd was mistreated, not as someone who could experience pain, not as someone who deserved compassion, not as someone who deserved some mercy. There was uh, really an intentional effort to make him suffer and his protests were ignored. So that really helps us to no longer deny it because it's been out in the open. For many people that I have encountered, I said, I didn't know disparities were so bad. And I often tease and said, you didn't hear the Cassandras, did you? Because we have been talking about inequities. We have been calling attention. So it's not exactly a full explanation because this is indeed a complex issue. But I pause here. You know, um, you know, when I think about, uh, we had a show on previously when we addressed healthy people, the objectives, the healthy objectives for the nation, 2030. And I reflect on when that first was started back, you know, during the, the Carter administration. To be honest with you, as I recall, the idea of health equity was never in the objectives per se but now they are and i think you bring up a, a really important point that we have more um research i guess more more data in in our pockets that we can we can look at and and assess when we have all of this though so we have the data we have the information uh, we have uh, things that happen in, in our communities that are not good. Um, how do we know, how will we know when we've truly reached a point where there is health equity? Or is this something that we just always strive for to make better ongoing? When I retired from the state of Minnesota after 15 years, I wanted to continue to do this work because I think it's critically important, not only for our generation, but for future generations. And I knew that uh, after a few decades working both in community in the Frogtown neighborhood of St. Paul and then with the state, it seems to me that our work is never done that yeah. we make progress and we need to count our small victories. We are grateful for them. On the other hand, there is always something that we didn't quite complete. We didn't quite finish. And it's really that unfinished business of inequities. I think that uh, we all are very familiar with social determinants of health in which we know that depending on what zip code, depending on which schools we went to, depending on a number of factors, our health outcomes and our livelihood are going to be different. I also like to refer to the political determinants of health 
because I feel that that author pointed us not only to bringing us more current um, developments, but also to have more of a strategic vision in terms of it is a complex system. It's a very powerful system fighting against our achieving equity for everyone, for everyone. And in order for us to be good stewards of this effort, in order for us to be effective, we need to think differently. It is important that we bring our hearts to this work, but our heads, our guts, our own education and study. I'm always studying because there is always something that is emerging and that we need to be prepared so we do this work. Our communities being left behind deserve no less. I want to ask a question, uh, Dr. Antonia. Uh, what's the connection between health equity and health literacy? Oh, that's a great question. I just was having a discussion with someone who is working on that. Uh, health literacy, and I can give myself as an example. I'm an immigrant of a country in the global south, Brazil. I grew up in what you here would call Islam, the favela. I grew up quite uh, poor with a very young widowed mother. My father died, I was eight years old. And she became the uh, breadwinner for the family when she could depend on my father, who was a bricklayer working in construction. But he provided for his family and the four children. Education then became a major focus of the way she raised us. We needed to excel in school because she, did, she didn't have any money to leave us, but she'd leave us with a diploma in our hands. And what that diploma would, in her vision, allow us is to come out of poverty, live a better life than the one she raised us in, and at the same time be confident because we had the knowledge to dream big. Health literacy in my coming to this country as an immigrant became then very important to me because when we went to the doctor in Brazil and it was not for preventative care, all as children were vaccinated because we had at the time a very caring public health system. However, the preventative care that my two sons here in the US had the benefit of, I did not. And it also allowed me that health literacy is an opportunity for me to learn how to be a better patient. How can I come before the doctor and be well informed so that I can ask good questions? I can understand what the doctor is telling me. And at the same time, I know that when something just doesn't feel right, I'm not being heard. The doctor doesn't seem to be paying attention to me to have the freedom depending on my health insurance, of course, and depending on my knowledge, to go to another healthcare provider. So it's really, for me, health literacy is the work that I used to do at the state. So the helping our communities, receiving publicly funded, serv funded services, 
to be better use user of those services so that they could walk in confidence they could really thrive and protect their children. Health literacy is an extremely, extremely important factor in us achieving that thriving community, that healthy and well-being life. You know, how we think, how we all think and understand health in this case is, is vitally important. You brought up an interesting point, um, and it's around health equity, and it's how we think about it has to change. And <laughs> um, I think, if I'm I'm not mistaken, you know, all of us have been involved in the health arena for for a long time. I do think, I hope, I guess I do hope that people are thinking differently if for no other reason they're seeing things differently and to move the um the so-called bell-shaped curve ever yeah. so slightly might take time but at least if people all people i don't care who you are where you are think differently perhaps we'll make better strides at at health equity Clarence. Yeah, I think that, thank you, Sam. But I think that, that is, as we're talking about this, we know that uh, a lot of, a lot of the things that are happening now are being driven by money. Uh, health is expensive. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, whether, whether you are providing health or whether you are getting health, it's very, very expensive. And so the whole issue is very very important for us as a as a country. But I wanted to to, to just put that out there. I always I always tell people that the color of America is not black or white. It's green. It's always about the money. Okay, that's and 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 so you you have to have that component in there. But I wanted to ask you uh, about this quote that uh, one of my researchers uh, gave to us. It says, uh, and this was from Paula Dressler. It says the route to achieving equity will not be accomplished through treating everyone equally. It will be achieved by treating everyone justly according to their circumstances. What do you think about that? That is such a true statement. And when I'm working with clients, uh, helping them understand the difference between equality and equity. So just imagine, you know that there is an orphanage with children needing shoes. And you go to a store and you buy all shoes size that are the same. You're assuming that all the children need shoes, but you're not thinking about what size because every child there is of a different age, different shoe size. Mm -hmm. So you're treating them equally. You're bringing shoes as gifts. It, It would be... Ask that orphanage, the shoe size, the foot size of each child, which shoe should I buy? And that's no different when I walk into my doctor's office and my neighbor who grew up here is white, middle class, has has had a different childhood experience. I do not want to be treated equally because I have had some challenges in my childhood that it's important for my doctor to know 
so that I am treated according to my needs, according to my health status, not equally. And I know that equality really seems to inspire our better angels, but I treat everyone equally. Hmm. Well, there are some considerations we need to take very seriously. It's about the health. It's about people's lives. You know, yeah. that's a great example. Yeah. You know, you know, it's um, you know, a common denominator in this case is just shoes. But if you're really dealing with equity, you're you're really yes. digging deeper and asking what size of shoes do you need for your child? Okay. That's a, that taking it a step further and hopefully, you know, through a greater thinking process and awareness process, we'll come to that. Go ahead. You know, yeah. You know, I, I was saying, I, I, I agree with you, Sam. I think that was a great, great example. And it's, and it's just interesting why people are not as open to asking those kinds of questions about what size shoe do you wear? Because I'm not sure sometimes if if what 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 process emotional mental process people go through to have to ask somebody else that kind of question, you yeah. know. And I because I think that people know it's the right thing to do, but whether or not people are willing to do that to ask you what size shoe you wear. No, I think you wear size ten. You know, actually, you you know you wear fourteen. Uh, it, it, it's one of those kinds of things that I think we make so many assumptions about, and that's why I think we're, I believe that's why we're having some of the problems that we're having. And you, you know, that for, for a fact is that, you know, there are assumptions about certain groups of people, like they don't, they don't have as much pain as other folk. Uh, they don't need, they don't need to, to, to take this and they don't, need, you know what I mean? So this whole idea about health equity really requires us to step outside of ourselves. You know, it requires us to ask additional questions that we don't think that, well, we may not think that people know how to answer. Yeah. You know, we we believe that we know what's best, and that is why we're having some of the some of the issues that we're having. So, here's an interesting dichotomy. I think, um, you know, I've always I've been in the in the public health arena for my entire career. And I just wonder your perspective on health equity as it relates to a public health response and health equity as it relates to a medical response. Or are they are they or should they be totally intertwined? I'm going to start with public health because I have been, um, I'm not trained in public health, but I have been a member of the Minnesota Public Health Association for years mm -hmm. and in their equity committee. And um, this year I am the president-elect of the Minnesota Public Health Association. And I was surprised in being nominated because I said, folks, I don't have an MPH. <laughs> they felt that I was trusted trustworthy enough. Public health, especially in Global South country, is what keeps the children and the future of that nation intact. That it mm -hmm. was thanks to having vaccination 
thanks to learning about uh, hygiene, thanks to learning about how do parents take good care of their children, keep them healthy. The medical uh, profession was a bit farther removed because of the lack of health insurance for everyone, which is now a reality in Brazil. We do have universal health insurance. The country has a lot of problems, but this has remained intact and it has meant a great, great progress. I think the problem with the medical, uh, and, and I agree with Clarence's comment that it's very expensive. In the United States, uh, healthcare, the health system is quite expensive and not necessarily of high quality as compared to other developed countries. So other wealthy countries manage to maintain mm -hmm. the population healthy. They abide by equitable principles in many cases. And at the same time, they are able to find healing approaches that don't break the bank. Because right now what we have is a generation of people and we still carry that. We are carrying um, medical care debt. So in order for us to have a good livelihood and a healthy, we need to have a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And that so is really in contrast with the oath that a medical doctor uh, states and the fact that uh, we look to the doctor as a healer. And that seems to be fallen by the wayside because it is now an expensive profession. Mm -hmm. And in a way, sometimes I find myself, well, if you go to medical school, you end up with a very high school debt. So you need to pay for that. Yeah. So Dr. Antonio, I want to ask this question. This is really as a community member. Okay. And usually when I, when I talk about that, I'm usually going to get in trouble. Okay. But as a community member, I'm kind of tired of the, what is called the health equity tourism that's going on. Every time I turn around, there's some new DEI, you know, somebody, and I'm like, where does this come from? Okay, what is going to be the real impact? Now, I know that I shouldn't be saying this out publicly, but I'm gonna say it anyway. You know, because I care about my my community and I care about the people that are providing services to my community. And I think I have a track record to say that. What do you think about that? I mean, I mean, it just seemed like this is just a buzzword. This is the this is the thing that everybody is talking about. And, you know, and so you want to be politically correct. So we, you know, and I'm just like, I'm not there. You know what I mean, and so, you know, so I don't have a lot of friends. <laughs> Okay. Oh yes, you do. Yes. Oh, well, I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying what I'm saying. You know what I mean? Because I know that, that that that's, you know, it's like, well, you know, why, you know, why are you saying that? Well, I'm out there, and it bothers me when, when, when you have people that are not authentic about really making the change. So, okay, so, okay, it's off my chest now. Now I can get back to health chatter. Go ahead, Doctor Wilcoxon. I, I, I so appreciate this, and as you have often been quite genuine and honest, and I so appreciate that, because in this work, we cannot lie to our communities, and right. we cannot try um, 
to miss words when the reality is between life and death. And when I tell folks that I'm a consultant and I work on issues of equity, I always add and social justice. Because yes. for me, it is about justice. It is about the fact that when I'm working with clients, for example, if they are in a health plan, that when we are talking about research, we also talk about the Tuskegee experiment. That when we are talking about issues that are really coming up as current, innovative, that we are using artificial intelligence, that we are using online visits, that we remember that some communities still carry the scars of mistreatment at the hands of medical doctors. And that cross-cultural interactions with medical doctors and the communities has not often been smooth, outcome-focused, or caring, if nothing else, caring. So what I then insert in my work, and I have health plans as clients, are words such as how are we envisioning when we stop centering whiteness? What is it that we see? What is it that we know and how can we talk about colonialism? What is it that we know or understand when someone talks about current and historical trauma? Because there is a need for us to be candid, to be really honest and direct if we are to make progress. It's very easy for us to be, to avoid certain words that make us uncomfortable or to avoid some subjects that may remove people from the table. And in my work, I need people at the table. I can't lose them because if they disengage, we cannot make progress alone. We have to make progress together. But I that, was, that question. Yeah. Well, that that was one of the reasons why you know when I when I made my initial my initial comments, I I watched you for a while. And I watched how you how you uh, I, I'm not going to say skated or danced uh, <laughs> between you know these kinds of conversations, but I noticed how you tried to bring some some clarity and you tried to bring some kind of understanding. Uh, people don't want to talk about a lot of these topics because it's like, well, I didn't do it. You know, but yet yes. at the same time, you 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 benefit from the effects of it. And I'm not here to point fingers at people because I don't do that. I, I really I try very hard not to do that. And we cannot, I don't think, we cannot get to this place if we continue to silo about these issues. The other part that I think that is so important for us around this issue of health equity is that while you are while again, this is my my community, my community perspective. While we may be comfortable uh, with what we have uh, and other people may not have it, if we're not careful, it's going to affect us as well. And we don't even have to be not careful. It, it's going to affect us. I mean, you know, you know, am I my brother's keeper? You know, you know, with mm -hmm. our global world, it's a lot, you know, those things are a lot easier now. I mean, a lot easier now to be affect us. So I think the 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 question I want to ask you is this. What are some of your suggestions for us to enter into the hard questions 
around health equity? Um, as we all know, in Minnesota, we have a special way of interacting. And we have a special way of interacting with difficult subjects. We either avoid them or we stay quiet. And I really encourage um, my colleagues, what a diverse group of people, and when a white colleague asked me, you know, I got this promotion and I am in this position now, but I know that I'm a white woman. And I look at her and I say, we have to be in this together. It's not just my work as a black woman. I need you side by side with me. As yes. long as you are aware that you may have received this promotion and you are in a high position, you have responsibilities too. Yes. And I also offer, I said, don't think that you are alone. I'll help you. If you need to talk, if you need to really uh, use me as a sounding block, we can't do this alone. But it requires you to not avoid the subject. You cannot do that because when I, as a Black woman, am suffering, eventually all of us will suffer. Absolutely. Because we are interconnected. We may not see it. Right. But we are so interwined. Right, right. So I've got a couple of, of twists and turns to this. Um, for those that for those populations that feel as though they are they are not um, equitably dealt with as it relates to health. My question is is how do those populations of, of people own that? In other words, it, I'm, I'm hoping that they're not saying, well, you know, this is what's affecting us. So you over here have to change it for us mm -hmm. as opposed to us being involved, you know, the, the communities themselves of people being involved in helping to elicit change. You you kind of alluded to it. Together we have to do this, but ownership is how it, is really what I would like you to respond. Yeah, I think uh, and thank you for that question because I believe that sometimes we don't do we don't practice self determination. We don't uh, take control of our agency because we don't know how to. I think we all yeah. have that desire to be free, to be independent, to be powerful, and to really control our own destiny. I think we are born with it. That's why children are so resilient. And in poverty, I grew up in a community in which we didn't have social services. If you're poor, you depend on somebody else who is able to be generous. I grew up in which a cup of sugar was sometimes borrowed from next door. That yeah. if we had more rice, that rice went to the other family who needed it. So we didn't wait until the government would hand out some benefit. 
And it's not that I do not believe in benefits because Brazil is going through a social uh, transformation again with this new president in which they have been the saving grace of the large population of low-income people. On the other hand, my work, especially with the state, I spent 15 years there. And one of my uh, orientation was that I grew up in a poor neighborhood. And my colleagues at the state sometimes made some assumptions about oh, she is not willing to work hard enough, or again, they didn't show up for that appointment. We need to punish them so they will learn. And in my mind, I knew that that was not always true, that there would be explanations if they were given the space to talk in a respectful manner why I couldn't show up. Something was happening in my household there. Yeah needed my attention. So what uh, we did in the first years in which we created this community council, I spent a lot of time working with community members to better understand this big bureaucracy. Each question they asked one month got a response the next month in which I reached out to a colleague who had that uh, uh, technical expertise. And I said, you know, we got a question about how somebody qualifies for this service. Do you think you could come and explain? But I'd like to ask you, please do not use the acronyms that we are comfortable with inside our agency. Explain to them as if um, they are new to our agency and they are new to our agency. So they know and can make a decision. Oh, I qualify. Or they can even tell their neighbor you should seek that out from the county because I learned that we can. That's a way to really making sure that folks are respected as full human beings. Mm -hmm. They are intelligent, they are wise, they have their lived experience that has taught them over generations. And it's a real loss when we don't value that, that yeah. we don't interact with people that believe because we don't when we make these false assumptions it's it's for our loss yeah. and ours you know the other question i had um is this situations happen okay so let's take covid for instance oh my god you know worldwide all right and um for for many populations that were struggling to begin with around health, all of a sudden you're hit with a real worldwide health-related problem. Mm -hmm. So tell me your perspective on how um, COVID, just as an illustration, has really affected one way or the other health equity. I think what COVID has done, even though in a very terrifying way, is exposed some of the issues that we have known exist. They are underlying. Yes. And we have said we need to invest more in equity work so that people can get the access and the outcome 
that they seek when they come to the county office, when they come to the doctor's office, when they come to a public health nurse. And when they are treated differently, they are not going to enjoy the strong health. And of course, when you're not strong, a pandemic can pretty much um, destroy you. Destroy your community. Yeah. And we it, saw that. And people were surprised about it because they never believed what we were seeing on the ground, what we were listening in community say, can't you change this? It creates so many barriers for us. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, you know, circling back to the point that you brought up, Clarence, before, you know, COVID really brought out to your, your point, um, Dr. Wilcoxon, about health literacy, for instance, yes. or access to care okay or immediacy of of situations um into quick intervention okay and mm -hmm. these are situations if if you're dealing with health inequities you know it's like hello this has always been a problem for us but now on top of it we have covid that we have to deal with that really brings it to the to the surface Hopefully, hopefully it'll get all of us just if if there's something, a silver lining to COVID, hopefully it'll bring out some of the things that we really, really need to think about together and being proactive together going forward. Clarence. Yeah, you know, I think that Dr. Uh, Antonio, uh, <laughs> uh, when you first started off, you talked about the data. Uh, and the things that were happening. And so in order to achieve health equity, we have the evidence-based information. What else do we need? What else do we need? What do what do researchers need? What does the community need? What to, to, to really get, to, to make some movement uh, and, and stop going in circles? What do we need? Well... $64 million question, <laughs> I think it's not that difficult. It's really to have that public will. And uh, you and I, Clarence, are familiar with the issue of um, integrated care for high-risk pregnancy. We serve on a board looking at that and trying to remedy. We know that when we look at the numbers of children who either have been vaccinated or are getting nutrition. We still have a number of children who are in poverty. That means they don't get the nutrition during the day. We know that programs such as Head Start, who, um, which has such a, a noble purpose, does not have vacancy for every child who needs it. So the list is pretty long, and it could make us discouraged. But instead, it gives me the energy to continue to work because there is so much work that still needs. But I think the, that decision to say, forget about uh, my thinking that there are some deserving poor and there are some undeserving poor, that only some people deserve to have these benefits, but not everyone that and and we witnessed that with the affordable care act in which for some it was just not okay to pro extend that care to everyone 
but just the sound. And once it becomes uncomfortable to make judgments and decisions based on that, our world could be transformed in our country. The health would be trans transformed. You know, you have a you know a key point there. You know, maybe, you know, what is it that that we can do besides um, all of us thinking differently? Um, maybe we could add to that is take away judgment on all of this. Just don't be judgmental. How about how is it that you know, like on Valentine's Day, we can start by saying, how is it that we can all just start loving one another and realizing that we're on this planet together, and and together, if together we can do have a strong impact, but separate, we can't. We don't stand. We don't stand. We just had this conversation prior to this. Prior to. Uh, this uh, uh, program being started, we were talking about the selfishness that we have as human beings. Yeah, no it's kidding. very it's very difficult for people sometimes to to step outside of themselves to think about others. But I don't really believe that people understand the power of collaboration. They really don't, and I, I believe that many times when we start talking about this work, people are afraid of losing something when they don't understand the power of multiplication. Correct. And it, it 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 is through these kinds of conversations and chats that we have the opportunity to say, could you would you consider looking at this in a different way and understand that you're not losing yourself as a result of working with other people or giving other people you talk about judgment or or extending an, an additional a conversation to people to find out what's really going on, but that is part of. The awareness that we bring in terms of you know bringing on people to talk about this is that you know sometimes we need to have our thinking jarred so that we can do some things different. So I appreciate you, uh, Dr. Antonio. Really, I mean, I said that I said that very truly. I've always admired you uh, for the work that you have done in the community, and I've always admired you in the way in which you have handled yourself as it relates to the topics and 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 the various issues and and how you really try to bring understanding sometimes to to those who don't want to understand so <laughs> you bring you, you bring much. such a wonderful um sincere sensitivity to the to the issue and um i greatly greatly appreciate your your insights and i also greatly appreciate the fact that um, you will have a pulpit uh, to speak from, even more so being the uh, the president of uh, the Minnesota Public Health Association. That certainly is near and dear to my heart too. I was involved with with public health through the Public Health Association. So, so thank you for that. Um, we thank also you. say often on this show that you know to discuss some of these complicated issues in a mere hour doesn't do its service. So I hope we can reserve the right to to bring you back on the show when we have other questions. Sometimes we get questions from the listening audience that say, wait a minute, Clarence and I can't answer that, but Dr. Wilcoxon <laughs> can. So we better get her back on the show. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank yes. you so very much. Clarence, you know that I'm very grateful for all you do. We have been colleagues in this profession over the years, and it has been really um, I'm so grateful for how much I have learned from you, 
how many doors you have opened and provided opportunities for me. And uh, this has been a generous community to me and people like you make that much richer. Thank you. Well, thank you. So glad to meet you, Stan. Thank and, you very and, much. And, and is, if, I feel like I've known you a long time. You know? <laughs> <laughs> to well, our listening yeah. audience, thank you so much for being part of Health Chatter today. Just so you know, we have some great shows in, in the lineup coming down the pike. We're doing a show on uh, communications with the director of the Minnesota Department of Health Communications Department doing a show on CPR and AED usage, suicide. Um, we're doing one on pets. And also we'll be addressing the issue of cannabis and that going forward. So many, we're never devoid of great subjects to, to discuss on health chatter. So everybody keep health chatting away. Hi everyone, it's Matthew from Behind the Scenes, and I wanted to let everyone know that we have a new website up and running, healthchatterpodcast.com. You can go on there, you can interact with us, you can communicate with us, send us a message, you can comment on each episode, you can rate us, uh, and it's just another way for everyone to communicate with uh, Stan and Clarence and all of us at the Health Chatter team. So definitely check it out. Again, that's healthchatterpodcast.com.